Good evening, and welcome to the Astoria City Council meeting, Monday, November 19th, 2018. Glad to see you here. Uh, call to order, um, Chief uh, Spalding. Councilor Memola. Here. Councilor Brownson. Here. Councilor Price. Here. Councilor Jones. Here. Marilyn. Here. Thank you. Uh, reports of councilors. Councilor Price. I received a call from Pat Boyle. She's a reporter at KXL. This was um, about two weeks ago. It's before uh, Chief Spaulding and uh, Detective Hansen and a great group of volunteers went up into the camps up at 40th and Franklin and uh, started clearing out up there. And it was interesting. The call, I mentioned it because um, Pat, she took the word camps to mean, and the fact that we had talked about 10 or 12 camps to mean that there were multiple tents at each site. So sort of projecting Portland onto Astoria rather than the fact that there were really 10 or 12 tent sites. Um, so she was surprised to hear that. <coughs> and I was surprised to hear that she thought we were really being more inundated than we are. Um, and then on October 9th, it did go up with um, uh, uh, Detective Hansen and a great group of volunteers uh, including Vern Hall, who has been an employee of, of the city of Astoria for a number of years until a number of years ago, and then has been living in the woods himself for several years, six or eight years, um, but fortunately just uh, found housing for himself. And uh, everyone just worked really hard, including the people who had been camping up there. Most, almost everyone was gone. There were a couple people still packing up their stuff. It was Chief Spotted wants 8.64 tons of debris <laughs> that, yeah, that, uh, I mean, and these sites are way up in the hills. They're kind of tricky to get to, some of them, and so things had to be um, thrown onto tarps and then dragged down or thrown down and then gobbled up and put into um, big dumpsters. It was, uh, and then also while we were there, um, Detective Hansen discovered two new uh, tents that were across the street, across 30, sort of in the um, low growing, it looks like bamboo or reeds, um, to the east of the um, storage units that are there um, around Pier 39. So, uh, and Viviana was there from Clatsop Community Action, and she reported that 10 or 11 people had gone to Clatsop Community Action um, asking about services, but uh, no one had really taken advantage of the service, the housing available, transitional housing available at Helping Hands. So that was uh, really interesting. And um, otherwise, I think I don't know how many of you have heard about the new downtown event. I don't think it was started by the Downtown Association, but Ferry Street Friday, which is 14th Street. Um, merchants on 14th got together and decided they kind of want to create a an environment similar to 11th Street, which is so dynamic, and uh, they're open late, and Street 14 um, has a special menu. It's really a fun night for extra things. So I just thought I'd talk about that, and um, I'll leave everyone else to, oh! And so congratulations to Councilor-elect John Herman, and Roger Rocco, who is not here, and, and uh, special congratulations to our colleague, Mayor-elect Bruce Jones. Thank you, Dr. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, Councilor Brownson. Thank you. Um, I just want to mention that tomorrow night at the library flag room, uh, AUW is uh, having a program at 6 o'clock on immigration then and now. They're going to have a couple speakers, Nancy Anderson, uh, who's from the Columbia River, uh, Ellis Island, um, it's not Ellis Island, it's the quarantine station. She's going to talk about them. And uh, uh, Quinn uh, Andrus is a community relations specialist with the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. And he's, she is going to talk about um, 
immigration now. So it might be worthwhile if you're interested at all in that. Otherwise, I don't have too much to say. We did have our uh, first public meeting for Uniontown Reborn, our uh, urban renewal project over on the West End a couple weeks ago. So keep your keep tuned for that and uh, for more to come. And uh, also my congratulations to uh, all those who were elected to office, both city, county, and otherwise. I thought it was a, a great turnout and uh, speaks well for this community. Councilman Manuel. Well, I'm preaching to the choir, but shop plaid and shop local this Black Friday. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Amy Mayor. Yeah, I just echo Council Brownson also with many of us went to the Uniontown Reborn event and uh, there was just it was nice to see such a good crowd there interested in economic development in Uniontown and improving livability and facades and historic preservation in Uniontown as well as facades and landscape improvements and transportation improvements so lots of work uh, to do there also uh, very much enjoyed attending two of the three Veterans Day events that I knew about in town uh, on the 100th anniversary of the armistice ending the First World War, uh, the Doughboy Monument, which uh, the work is looking really tremendous. It was nice to see a good crowd there. And then later in the library flag room, there was a very nice uh, informative and uh, moving uh, ceremony. And I want to recognize and thank Rosemary Johnson for her excellent work in, in shepherding both those events. Thank you. Okay, and uh, this community uh, always has so many events going on at the same time, and uh, this last uh, few weeks was no exception. Uh, the Maritime Museum had their annual meeting, the Liberty Theater had their gala, uh, United Way had Iron Chef and Seaside. Um, I know I gained many pounds with those three events. Uh, but it's it's fun to to, to go to these events and the, and the turnout is always great and the generosity is just phenomenal. So uh, I'm very proud to be a part of this community. That's for sure. Any changes to the agenda? No changes. Okay. The uh, consent calendar is approved with one motion unless someone has asked for something to be removed. Any citizen requests? No citizen requests. Okay. Anyone on the council? I have a question on item C, <coughs> which is waiver of fees for holiday downtown parking. Uh, and just asking if this will affect the salary or pay of the community outreach officer. Mayor, do you want me to just answer that now? Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. So um, that empl employee is not uh, uh, employed by the city of Astoria. It's my understanding that uh, ADHDA, the Downtown Association, has been continued to uh, keep the community outreach officer employed during that time, as there still are um, um, items to be able to address parking-wise, which includes merchants who park within the downtown district. And, uh, and shouldn't be doing that. This any exemption of parking fines is uh, to allow shoppers uh, to be able to park longer in downtown, uh, not uh, downtown merchants or uh, property owners. Okay, thank you. Could I have a motion to approve the consent calendar? I move we approve the consent calendar. Second, uh, Chief. Council, Councilor Dimelwell. Aye. Councilor Bronson. Aye. Councilor Price? Aye. Councilor Jones? Aye. Mayor Aye. Thank you. Okay, our first regular agenda item is an ordinance uh, and resolution regarding homestay lodging. I'm going to be giving just a, a brief uh, introduction on this item and then going to be having Rosemary Johnson come forward. But over the past two years, a number of illegal transient lodging facilities has increased and enforcement has proven to be difficult as the units are not identified by address or by owner in the advertising platforms. During a work session held in December of last year, staff reviewed a list of facilities that were being advertised and noted the ones they could identify. The council discussed the needs for better codes, licenses, and enforcement and directed staff to research other cities' codes and draft an amendment to the city code which would address the growing problem. 
staff did draft a city code amendment which does clarify terminology it establishes a license process and addresses code enforcement and this was presented at your october 13 2018 work session based on council input at that work session staff has revised the draft amendments that were reviewed at that time and prepared them tonight for council adoption Again, Rosemary Johnson has been working along with Nancy Ferber um, on this uh, project over the past year. Um, I would note that uh, in moving forward, if the code drafts, draft meets the council's expectations, it'd be in order for council to hold a first reading of the two ordinances which are included in your packet, one for homestay lodging licenses and one also for transient room tax changes. There need to be two separate uh, motions and two separate readings. We are not asking for you to consider the draft resolution tonight, and we're just asking you if there's any thoughts about the draft resolution uh, for fees associated with uh, this proposal. Um, if the council held the first readings this evening, we would bring that fee resolution back to you at the next meeting so everything could be considered and potentially adopted at the same time. So, Rosemary, I'll turn it over to you. Okay. Rosemary Johnson, 672 15th Street, Astoria. Um, I'm just going to quickly go through what this ordinance does for the homestay lodgings. It defines it as two bedrooms, one or two bedrooms in a private home, and there can only be one on the site or within a condo. Uh, it needs to be owner-occupied as their primary residence. So you can't have a duplex live in one half and do the other half as a uh, homestay lodging. Uh, we're not going to allow them in accessory structures. And then uh, it won't be allowed within an accessory dwelling unit because that is accessory, not a primary. Uh, you also had requested that we not allow an accessory dwelling unit and a homestay lodging in the R1 single-family zone, but in the R2 and R3 zone, it would be a conditional use permit to have both on the same site. Uh, that portion will actually show up in the development code rather than the city code. Uh, they need to meet fire life safety and have an inspection either by the building official or a certified inspector. They need to pay their occupational tax and transient room tax. They have to comply with signage and parking per the development code. They need to identify their advertising platforms, such as uh, Airbnb or vacation rental by owner, and um, identify that third party so that we can uh, track that. And then also, on that third party advertising platform, they need to identify their homestay lodging identification from the city, their license number, to show that they have a city permit. It's not transferable, so if someone buys a property, they have to go through the process separately. Um, they need to post compliance uh, regulations for the guests. They, it will be a violation for them to advertise without a license which means if we find them on Airbnb and they don't have a homestay lodging license, that is a violation that we could cite for. Also, if they uh, advertise in violation of any of the standards, such as um, you requested that the homestay lodging facilities not include a kitchen. So we have stated, we have defined a dwelling to say a dwelling includes a kitchen. We define kitchen as having cooking facilities other than a microwave and have said that you cannot have a kitchen within a homestay lodging facility room. And so if they are advertising anything to that effect, like full kitchen or something, then that would be a violation. Uh, the permit would come, or the license would go through the community development department and they would advertise it with a public notice, uh, was one of the things you requested. We would mail to about 100 feet around the property, which will uh, limit the number of people that are being in notices. And then the community development director or staff would then make a determination of compliance with the standards. The permit would be valid for two years, and they would have to renew it every two years. And with the renewal, they would have to have a new home inspection to make sure that everything's still in compliance for safety reasons. Um, 
The renewal has criteria, so if they are in violation of any of the codes or if there have been violations by the guests, some patients, um, or they provided false information or they have not complied with the standards, then we would not renew it. And then they would have to wait six months before they could get another homestay lodging permit. If they're cited, it would go through municipal court and municipal court would have the right to revoke a license. If it's revoked, they cannot have a new license for one year. Um, let's see here. So that would be the basic things in the development, I mean the city code for homestead. Then we have the transient room tax. And what we've done there is added a third party collection with a written agreement with the city. So that's like if Airbnb collects the transient room tax, Airbnb would enter into an agreement with the city to collect that tax and pay it to the city. Um, we would change the transient room tax payments from quarterly to monthly. And this has been something we've been working with the finance department to find out what they wanted. And the delinquent payments, if uh, the city puts a lien on an operator, uh, we've written it into the code and we'll work out the mechanics so that we can also put a lien on the property owner and the third party collector. Um, an example would be if someone owns a property and such as the port, they own the property and there's a hotel there. That transient room tax would own, right now only goes to the operator of the hotel. But this way we could go after the property owner and anyone who is a third party collector. So those are some of the things in the transient room tax. The development code, which is not being amended now because it has to go through the land use process, so that will be initiated after we get the homestay lodge and the city code on the books. Then we'll go and initiate a code amendment to the development code, which takes about six months. That will start immediately after uh, we get the adoption by the city council. And that one will say specifically what zones the homestay lodging can be in, and that things like it can't be in an accessory dwelling unit in our R1 zone. Um, it also will state that it uh, has to be the primary residence of the owner and that it can't be located in motor vehicles. Uh, the other thing that the council uh, suggested was to limit transient lodging, homestay, vacation rentals, or whatever, in structures in non-residential zones that were built as residential structures or, and were occupied. So we've written a draft for the development codes who say that you can't use a residential structure in a commercial zone for transient lodging. It was one of the things that we had gotten out of the October work session. The, third, the fourth thing would be the fee resolution. Uh, council directed us to look at what it may cost the city in time to process these permits and we wanted the fees to reflect actual costs. Some licenses are going to go quickly, other licenses are going to take a lot more time. And so what I came up with, uh, basing it on uh, all the employees that have to work on it, advertising, um, legal notices, things like that, uh, I came up with $500 for a homestay lodging license, renewals, which will require notice going out and review of everything, is $150, that's once every two years. Fire and life safety inspection, if they don't get an independent inspector and need to use the building official, I've put down $300. And then if they want to appeal the decision, I have homestay lodging license appeals at $400, which is the same as a development code appeal because of the volume of time and copying and notices that have to go out. So those are the recommend, or the the fees that I came up with that would somewhat break even. Uh, it won't on all issues, and it may be higher on some issues, but it kind of balances out. Um, with that, do you have any questions? Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, a couple of things. So third-party agreement. Uh, I thought that, I'm a little unclear on that. I 
I had thought that we weren't necessarily going to be looking at trying to get into agreements with like Airbnb and whatnot. Maybe it's an open question or, or not. I had certainly talked about working with the state as being a, a kind of middle person to do third party collections as well, more specifically. And, and the reason I said it because often when Airbnb makes agreements with cities, they create conditions for the agreement, and, and I'm not interested in their conditions. That's just me personally, so that's why I'm kind of averse to going into agreements with uh, Airbnb, and because the state has said that they will become, be able to collect for us from third parties uh, for like a 5% handling fee, so. Right, and at this point, we've added it in because some of the uh, third-party uh, advertising platforms require that the property owner pay them the transient room tax, and they then submit it. And I believe uh, we already have one company that does that. Um, I can't remember the name. Anyway, one company does submit it in. What we're trying to do here is come up with an agreement which we would draft in the future that would be to the city's uh, liking, you know, approval. That would say how they would submit it, when they would submit it, and uh, any agreements as to percentages and things, if there is any of that. Okay. Um, so, and Rosemary, if I can, you know, presently, as, as Rosemary had indicated and Susan had agreed to, there are some hotel advertising pro, uh, platforms, such as Travelocity um, or Expedia, that collect the room tax um, and then remit it back, and so that in bulk, and so that happens already. And so, if there are sometimes some of these units that could advertise on those hotel platforms, right. such as uh, Travelocity, and we want to make sure that we're capturing those as well. That that are you know it's separate from Airbnb, but we have we have that happening already, and it's actually permitted under state law. Sure. So. And one of the things that this, uh, the way we've written the transient room tax, uh, would help finance department track that because when they send the check as a lump sum, we have no idea what units those are for. They will tell you the address, but we are going to require in this agreement and through this code that they have to identify the ID number of that unit. Then we're requiring to get your license for the city, you have to provide the city with your uh, third-party ID number. So it's the third party's not telling us who it is, but the, the person who has it has to tell us what their ID number is. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, all of this is going to be yeah, interesting. Right. Um, just a little clarification on the residential structures in non-residential zones prohibited. Is there? Can you kind of expand on that? With that. That means, well, give me an example of a residential structure. As an example, down on West Marine Drive, across from about where the uh, Dutch Brothers Coffee is, mm -hmm. um, next to the cigarettes under the bridge, there are two residential structures there that were built for residences, and the owner turned them into vacation rentals. Those are in a C3 general commercial zone, which allows hotel-motel as an outright use, and we have defined or have always said that a vacation rental is the same as a motel. So they were able to convert those two dwellings into vacation rentals because of the zone. Um, what we got from the direction at the last one was that if it was a residential-type building or was used as residential, you did not want that being converted into transient lodging. Uh, we have other places that are commercial buildings that have um, transient lodging. In fact, the Fisher Brothers building is an example. Right. That's also in a commercial zone, but it was built as a commercial building, and it has four units at the top that they use as vacation rental. It's, uh, I wasn't quite sure whether you were intending all buildings that had residential use, or whether you wanted it just purely residential buildings were prohibited. Yeah, that, that's what I was wondering too. If if I had, if I lived in a house that happened to be on commercial property and I lived there, and I wanted to convert a room to Airbnb, this says I wouldn't be allowed to do that. 
the, well, this was going to go in the development code, so we still have to work out the wording, but... That's not the intention. No, the intention okay. is that it couldn't be turned into vacation rental, which would be a motel. You could still live there as a single family and do the short-term, like, homestay lodging okay. or bed and breakfast, okay. but you couldn't turn the entire facility into a motel. Okay. So, so as Ms. Johnson indicated, this is something that... The, the specificity as to this issue of commercial use of, of residential uses being converted to um, some sort of transit lodging facility is not something that's in the ordinance today, but it's something that is to be amended as a part of a subsequent development code in the future. Um, I think that it's one of the reason why we brought it up is it was something mentioned in your work session and probably good for us to have some clarity you know moving forward um, you know there are units as Ms. Johnson indicated the, the Fisher Brothers building that started out as apartments and they're now transient lodging uh, the units above the uh, above the workers tavern were once apartments and now they're uh, transient lodging um, and so those are um, you know, types of questions that ultimately we're going to ask council uh, if if that's something you know you're not wanting to see. In what specificity are you wanting those created? So I'll I'll address this because I I was the one who actually suggested this, and and I'd also like the reason I suggested it was during that work session. At some point, it was mentioned. Uh, the idea that a condo, for example, in one of the condo buildings on the waterfront, if someone from out of town, well, from wherever, get in town, out of town, could buy a condo and then just turn it into a vacation, a short-term rental. Because since it's in a commercial zone, these rules that we've mapped out here to prohibit homes from being used for vacation, or whole homes from being used for vacation rentals, don't apply in a commercial zone. And the only thing that would keep someone from doing that was the homeowners association rules. If the homeowners association rules prevent it, then they can't do it. But that's there's nothing that the city would have in place that would prevent someone from taking a condominium, for example, that was built in a building intended to be used for residences, permitted to be used for residences, from being converted to short-term rentals. And so I suggested that we amend this as you've done. I also recall making the comment, but there could be some unintended consequences I haven't thought of, so we need to think through that as well. So, you know, I guess my question is, are there some unintended consequences? And there might, there might be. Um, because if we, you know, we tried to amend it to catch one type of thing that we, we might all agree would be not in keeping with what we want, it might have an indirect negative consequence on somebody else. Now, you mentioned the workers' tower, and that's interesting because those apartments are being rented out as short-term rentals because they're not allowed to rent them out as permanent rentals because of parking, we sort of been told. They don't have any... It's actually the reverse. The reverse. Is that, is that right? They're actually grandfathered with, with residential, and there's upstairs. And um, they were actually grandfathered upstairs, and it became, and the issue of parking became an issue when they changed them over, and now there's an interest, I understand, to expand uh, down downstairs potentially so for for permanent rentals or for short-term rentals um, short-term rentals I believe it's, I mean it's, it's the issue is actually where the, the issue of parking came into play is with the conversion yeah so you know hence my earlier comment during the work session that there may be unintended consequences that we would need to think through before implementing it and again the intent in my mind was that buildings that were clearly constructed only for one purpose for permanent homes, condo buildings, would not be allowed to take individual condos and turn them into vacation rentals where no one is living there. But in the case of, you know, 100 plus year old buildings that have been used for different things over time, yeah, it could get kind of tricky. Well, that, that's why it, it was a little confusing to me because we're, we have two different issues. We have whole house or whole condominium vacation rentals, and we have home state lodging, and they're two different animals. So this sort of addresses you're addressing the vacation, the whole vacation rental, and I just want to be clear that if somebody has a house and just goes some commercial, if they want to do homestay lodging, they should be able to under the real yeah. estate. Yeah, and we're actually having a lot of discussion about <coughs> an item that is actually not included in the ordinance tonight. 
um, you know that this is this is something that if the council chooses to adopt the ordinances that are before you the next step is for staff to work on amendments to the development code or zoning ordinance where some of this nuance will then be worked on further and that's not going to you know this would be looked at brought back to the city council um six months from now so shall i wait for any further nuance <laughs> i guess if there's nuance associated with it yeah, that one we have time to develop but i we included it in the development code draft here which is just the initial draft okay. to get your feedback like this to make sure we were on the right track but as um city manager Estes said that is coming back and we have a lot more discussion on some of those Okay, the, I just try, actually I just have one other thing. This is a, the technical, it was on section 8.7651E. Um, it, and it, just, it all has to do with buying the business, getting the, the license. And inside there, you talked about uh, in order to apply, you needed to have your house safety inspection and your business license. So you already have to buy the stuff before you're even approved. So I'm just, so I'm, that's how it read when I went through it. And so my concern there is that. I see where you're going. See where I'm going I, yes, I think what we need to do there is proof of an occupational tax application. Uh, I see what you're saying because you're not going to give them a license, pay the tax until they get the license. It's a, Catch 22. Right, so I was, yeah, I was kind of like thinking pre approval, pending inspection, and business license okay. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty much all I've done on that. Thank you. Okay. Anyone else? Well, thank you, uh, Ms. Johnson and Ms. Ferber and Mr. Estes. This has been at least a two-year conversation, perhaps longer. Uh, my preference was to uh, put an outright ban on everything that was not already uh, uh, approved or in compliance of rules that we might make uh, back in April of last year. But th these are pretty tight, and these uh, reflect what um, smart cities are doing everywhere to try to keep the lid on uh, short-term rentals and vacation stays. So I thank you very much. Yeah, I'd like to add, just for, for everybody to know, the, these are the documents that Rosemary and Nancy have been working on. So it's it's a huge amount of work, and uh, we really do appreciate it. it as as uh, Councilor Price said, we've had, had lots of meetings about this, so uh, it, it you captured things very well, so thank you. Okay, so uh, we'll open the public hearing for the ordinances for the homestay, lodging, licenses, and transient tax. If anyone would like to speak to these issues, please come to the microphone and state your name and address. Bronstein on 1142 Grand Avenue. Uh, first, I want to thank you for your service to the community and the opportunity to uh, address the council. The agenda item presented this evening regarding homestay lodging appears as your attempt to address numerous housing issues that plague our community. You state that these suggested changes are made based on what other communities like ours have done. I ask are these constraints successful in the other communities? Is there any empirical data or even subjective data that says that these changes have a positive effect on our community, our businesses, and our residents? I am also assuming that you have an inventory of housing options since you've been working on this for so long. And those housing options in Astoria, are they factually data? Is there factual data to establish a baseline? 
And are these restrictions and constraints that you want to place on our community, local residents and business owners, effective? How will you measure them? So we can make things happen, we can make these changes, but going forward, how do we measure our success? Who is accountable? And because of that, while this appears to have been in the process for many years, I feel that this radical change of addition of restrictions that have been thought through and that have not been thought through well enough. And as you're working through it, understand the consequences to current residents and current business owners of the story. For these reasons, many more that I do not have time to articulate in the public forum, I ask that the council defer any final vote to after the new council is in place. As a former resident of the Fisher Brothers building, for example, I lived there for five months when I first got here. Great place to live, not for long term. It should be transient housing. <coughs> it's designed to be transient housing. If you want to live with the sea lions, you want to live with the beeping of the uh, dinging of the trolley going by, and it's a wonderful experience for a weekend or two. But that's it. So take, you know, that's why I say inventory and what the effect is on all of the residents and all of the business owners. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Anyone else? Of course I've got to add something. Of course. <laughs> Good evening. Chris Hafker, 687 um, 12th Street. Um, an issue that um, I'm closely related to, um, being a uh, homestay lodging host. Um, the, um, the, there's uh, a thought, I think, here that uh, there's a lot of money being made with, uh, with Airbnb and homestay lodging. And, you know, the hotel occupancy, from what I just pulled off the internet, is like 62%. A successful uh, homestay lodging business might hit 30%, and I'm kind of thinking the average might be more like 20%. So there's probably not a lot of money coming in. And the average fees or the um, costs for that are around $70 a night. Um, so that's not a lot of nights where these rooms are being occupied. And when you look at the fees here, that's a um, sizable chunk of money. And one of the purposes for encouraging homestay lodging is to give people of historic homes and any home, a little bit of, uh, how would I say, uh, just opportunity for staying in their home because not everybody is uh, making a strong income in Astoria. And as we see next year, um, Shively McClure neighborhood being reassessed for property taxes and some other bond measures and this historic fabric that we have, these homes are expensive. I think one thing that would be uh, really helpful is in the historic neighborhood, lift the parking requirement so people can actually have the one or two bedroom option. Um, we don't have parking requirements on long-term rentals. Um, you can have up to 12 family members and uh, four roommates in a house. That's quite an impact on a uh, single family residence. Um, when you're renting out apartments, um, long-term, uh, single bedroom, you get a couple of cars. So really the, the impact in the neighborhood is mostly long-term residents. Not to say that we shouldn't have them, we should trade them out, but I don't see the short-term rentals being a negative impact on the neighborhoods and we should make it easier for people to have that as an option because it's already very limited with the amount of rooms they can rent. And um, I just, I, I think it's a great way to go. Although CAT has a great program, I think, what are the, what are the grants? Are they 20,000 for the weatherization program that we voted on? If so, that's the same as it was 20 years ago. So uh, costs have increased. Um, I'm out of time, I've got more, but I'll share it for another day. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Anyone else? <coughs> 
Uh, good evening. Walt Polstowaite, 36468 River Point Drive, Astoria, Oregon. Uh, I can't remember the last time I talked in just three minutes, so I'll be really quick and talk fast. One of the things that I wish I would have seen in the background is the premise behind this, because what we're talking about is housing and housing issues in our community, and it would have been, um, I would like to have seen at least a reference in the background around that. Um, secondly, the county uh, housing uh, survey that's going on, which the city of Astoria is part of, um, housing is holistic. It's not just Astoria. It's Astoria, Warrington, Seaside, Gearhart, Cannon Beach, and unincorporated Clatsop County. Um, one of the interesting items in their work is that they found that the average household in Clatsop County makes $69,000. For obtainable housing, that's a $240,000 house. The problem is that the housing stock in the last 10 years in that price range, only 4% of the homes have been built there. Um, when you look at housing, it is as much of a price issue as it is a supply issue. Um, when you look at Astoria, Astoria, 89% of the homes in Astoria proper are owner-occupied. So we're really only talking about 3%, I'm sorry, 11% of the housing stock that could be vacation rentals when we talk about the whole house. Because the concern is the second homes that get rented out and they don't have the long time uh, full-time residents. So um, I'm not, there's a lot in this that I appreciate. Yes, you should know who is renting their houses. Yes, you should be collecting the transit taxes. Frankly, as a property owner, as a landlord, people who are, not, and, and right now I'm long-term, but people who are running short-term and not collecting transient taxes and paying that, they should be found and they should be fine because if you're going to run a business, you run it right. Um, but it's about money. The reason why you're not seeing homes built at $240,000 or less, the reason why you're not seeing new apartments come on at two bedrooms and being at $1,000 or less, the two bedrooms that are coming on the market right now range between about $1,250 and $1,350, and it's because it's very expensive. If we're talking about workforce housing, we're talking about two bedroom units, a thousand or less, one bedroom, 800 and less. And the problem is it just doesn't pencil for new development. So as we looked at this, the, the biggest concern I had is in around the unintentional consequences of this overlapping with the commercial zoning. I had a conversation earlier today about somebody looking at a downtown property that has residential upstairs and their idea was to do some mixed development, some long-term and some short-term, because they need the short-term to offset the long-term. So um, unintended consequences, I like the, the monitoring on this, but I do think that it needs some more thought about how to deal with the housing issue, because I think it's a little bit more holistic than this really addresses. Thank you. Thank you, Walt. Anyone else? Hi, I'm Noel Liver, uh, over at the Old Y, um, 514-12th Street. Uh, I'm a little unprepared because I've just jumped into town, but I'm working on that building and am back and forth between Boise, Idaho and here. And I would love to have the option to do short-term uh, rentals in the top floor of that building if it was available. I'm not sure why it would be restricted. I kind of echo uh, the other things that were said where um, you know, it's expensive to build housing, and uh, I think the city should put more effort into that, maybe, rather than trying to restrict the short-term housing. Um, but I, I guess my, my overall sentiment is that it doesn't feel quite right. It feels like it needs to be worked out a little bit more. Uh, thank you for your time. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? So I'm going to start off here by saying what, I, what I've just heard in the last two speakers is conflating vacation rental versus homestay lodging. And again, with two different things. So if you have an apartment with a kitchen and it's full service, that's not homestay. We're not even talking about that. Uh, we're talking about a one or two bedrooms in somebody's home in a residential area. So it's, it's that, that's, that's about right. So I, I think you're direct, 
your concerns are misplaced as far as uh, commercial vacation rentals. Now we do have people who have bought houses. Their whole house, we looked at the list of uh, current Airbnb listings and like 75% of them were whole house rentals. And they were in residential R1 uh, areas, which it's illegal. And that's one of the things we're going, we're not going after people in commercial areas. We're talking about people that have bought houses that are in R1 that have not, and are renting out the whole house as a vacation rental. And that's illegal right now. So a lot of this is an enforcement issue, but again, we're not talking about vacation rentals at the moment. We're talking about homestay. And I just want to be clear, I appreciate the economics of it, um, as Chris stated, but this is a business. That's number one. Um, the costs that we're putting out there are to cover staff time for enforcement for pro and for processing. So, we're just trying to recover what it's costing us to do this process and trying to do it right. Uh, it's to make us better able to enforce because we'll be able to track these uh, homestay lockings better so that we make sure that everybody's complying. So, we need to cover those costs. Uh, Equity and safety. So, you know, hotel uh, owners, motel owners, bed and breakfast owners, they're required to meet certain standards of safety and operation. And this is kind of equity. I think that if you're going to run a business in your home, you're going to have people staying there, you need to show that you're complying to some very basic safety concerns. And I've stayed in Airbnbs before, and I mean, homestays in different places, and that's not always been, obviously it's not always been the case, and I'm sure it's not the case. We need to know that. We need to confirm it. So, when we talk, you know, we have done our homework. We have been looking at all of this, and you're right, we may not have um, good data on how these things work, because this is new, this is a whole new rodeo out there. This, this has been happening for the last five years and it's only recently that cities have been trying to address it to get a handle on it. Um, so I just wanted to make sure everybody was clear that uh, we thought this out pretty thoroughly and we've talked it out pretty thoroughly and this is a compromise from a council that partially would just as soon not see them here. But we want to allow people to have that opportunity and I think, I, personally, I. Again, I use Airbnbs, and I really appreciate them for what they offer uh, in way of when I go to different cities. So um, that's why I'm supportive. But I'm always supportive that we do it legally and we do it correctly. Um, parking, you may be right. You know, homeowners have a lot of leeway, but they're the homeowners. And should we compound the problem? I'm not sure we should. We should be careful about parking that is already stressed. Why should we add more if, if there's not available space by adding, by removing parking restrictions? I'm not quite sure uh, how that makes sense. So, but for the discussion, that's what I've got to say. Okay. Anyone else from the public wish to speak on this issue? Well, um, Grandview Bed and Breakfast, 1574 Grand Avenue. Um, my understanding of what this is about is primarily to, uh, to know what, what's going on in the, in the homestay arena. Uh, and you're absolutely right, we get inspected uh, by the health department once a year and she goes through my refrigerator, she goes through 
rooms in my house and make sure that I have fire extinguishers and all kinds of other stuff. And I think that that's a good idea. I um, started getting concerned about all of these Airbnbs and I didn't understand what they were about exactly. And I went to a planning commission, I think that's who gives them their permits. I went to a planning commission hearing on someone who was requesting a permit. And these, a wonderful, lovely lady wanted to have the permit. She had a house that had the proper parking off street. She had, she said, I have two, two rooms that I rent and I have a kitchen in the middle in my basement and they use the kitchen at will. And I was shocked to think that person in, in room A could be cutting up their chicken in the kitchen and person B comes along later on and gets salmonella or something. And who knows how that happened. So I talked to my counselor and mentioned that there should be some sort of health inspection. They were getting these permits until the tsunami hits. <laughs> and I, so I think that this is a good idea. I don't think that it's so much the money issue we're trying to corral that, but I think that it's a health and safety inspection is the main issue. That's all I want to say. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Um, I'll close the public hearing then and council discussion. Uh, I'll go back to the topic that I was talking about earlier that two of the speakers addressed. Um, the uh, vacation rental transient lodging in uh, commercial, in buildings in the commercial zone. Now, I haven't been inside the Fisher Brothers building. I, mean, I, I was under the impression that those rooms that are being rented out short term are not, were not part of an apartment building. They're, I don't know. I guess I'll ask anyone on the staff who's aware of that. Um, Roseanne, why don't you take it? You're the planner who reviewed that. <laughs> <laughs> when the Fisher Brother building was uh, renovated, it was a vacant building for a long time. Uh, they came in with the proposal for the ground floor to be commercial use, and they wanted to put four condominium units on the second floor. Uh, they were constructed as condominium units. They were going to be separated in separate ownership uh, as a condominium, but it never was completed. And so when the building went into foreclosure and went to a bank and then to subsequent owners, uh, those four condominium units were just uh, basically four apartments that had been constructed building uh, permits were not finaled. Uh, when the new owner finally got it, they decided to do it as short-term rental. I believe they may have had long-term rental in there for a short time during the transition, but they were originally going to be condominium units. Okay, and then the YMCA building, I'm assuming that's considered a commercial building that's in a, it's zoned commercially? Yes, it is. It's in a commercial zone. And uh, they, again, are looking at potentially doing uh, short-term rental in the upper floors, is what I understand. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I'd like the option, at least. Which, I, I, as I read this, would not be precluded by that, right? Because it's a building that was never built or intended to be using as a residence. Is that all right? Correct. What I had gotten from the council, the way I have the draft, and this is that future development code, not what's being reviewed tonight, uh, would be structures that were built and occupied as residential structures. Uh, that was never a residential structure, so that the way uh, we have it drafted right now would not impact that building, or the Fisher Brothers, because it was a commercial building that was converted. Thank you. 
Any other council discussion? Well, this is an issue that I feel passionate about, and you know, we have been talking about this for years. Um, before uh, Bruce and Tom were sworn in, I was talking to them on the phone, lobbying them to limit short-term rentals in Astoria. And it's an issue that I feel very emotional about um, because it's really disheartening uh, as a business leader um, to have really good people working really hard and they can't find a place to live. And given the limited housing supply in Astoria, you know, I would soon not have any short-term rentals at all in any residential zones if it meant uh, places for uh, the workers of Astoria to live. Uh, and when you talk about unintended consequences to businesses, we've got enough tourists right now. What we need is housing for workers. And being that I'm from Astoria and I've seen a lot of changes in Astoria over the last couple of decades, a lot of positive changes, one thing that I want Astoria to continue to be in the future is a place where Astorians can live, work, and play. I want people who work in Astoria to be able to afford to live in Astoria. And I don't think an Astorian should ever have to compete with a tourist for a place to live. So there's some good people here tonight who I like and I respect and I don't want to uh, create any hardships on um, you know, short-term rental uh, businesses, but we need to protect our neighborhoods. We need to provide as much housing stock as we can for Astorians. And really, uh, while the reason why we started talking about this was to preserve housing stock for Astorians, and there's a lot of other reasons that have come up. Um, but in terms of what the city should do or could do, like the real fact of the matter is, is that this city is a service provider and can't go out and build a bunch of housing. You know, but this is one thing that we can do to protect the housing stock for Astoria. It's a compromise with the council. Um, there's several councilors who are supportive of short-term rentals and uh, understand um, the need for um, people to augment their income with short-term uh, rentals. And so while this you know, is not um, exactly what I wanted, it's a step in the right direction uh, to reduce the proliferation of short-term rentals in Astoria. Thank you. I think, I think it's just really important to realize what, how long we worked on this and that it is very definitely a compromise. Um, they, as as Zeddy, Zeddy's very passionate on one side, uh, I tend to support the, the uh, short-term rentals in, more. But it, again, we're working together and trying to come to some kind of a compromise. And uh, I think that... Uh, Rosemary Johnson and Nancy Ferber have done a very fine job of drafting this. It's a lot of work. Any other discussion? Okay. Could we uh, have a motion to hold the first reading of the Homestay Lodging License? I move that we have the first reading of the Homestay Lodging uh, License Ordinance. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, uh, could we have a reading of the, of the ordinance, please? An ordinance amending the Astoria City Code by the addition of sections 8.750 through 8.800 concerning homestay lodging license and enforcement. Okay, uh, we also then need to have a motion to hold the first reading of the transient room tax ordinance. I move that we have first reading of the transient room tax ordinance. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. Any discussion on that before we go ahead? Okay. Uh, could we have a reading of that ordinance, please? An ordinance amending the Astoria City Code by the addition of section 8.045 concerning transient room tax. Okay. Thank you. 
So, Mayor, we'll be bringing both of these items back at your next meeting for a second reading in consideration of adoption, as well as the resolution for the fees uh, for these types of permits. Okay, thank you. Uh, the next item on our agenda is the sales contract with area properties for sale of city-owned lots at Mill Pond. The city owns 12 lots platted over the south side of Mill Pond that were gifted by its developer, Art DeMuro of Mineral Properties, in 2012. The city attempted to market the properties with no success, and the disposition of the properties was raised during this fiscal year's budget hearings. The item was further discussed at a city council meeting held on August 6th this year, and council directed staff to market the lots using a real estate agent. We con uh, contacted Mary Wittstrom of Area Properties, and Mary and Lori Dewey were involved in the sale of city properties in 2014 and 2015. Area Properties was the only real estate firm to propose to sell the city properties at that time, and due to their familiarity with the property in the background, it's recommended renewing the contract with Area Properties, and the city attorney has opined that this would be an appropriate course of action. The sales contracts are attached to the memo and it's proposed that each price of each pier uh, be priced at $45,000. And I note that there are two uh, sets of pier lots out there uh, with six lots apiece. It's recommended that council consider authorizing to authorizing the city manager to, sale, to sign the sales contract if you're wishing to move forward with the marketing of these lots through area properties. Council discussion? It's okay with me. <laughs> I move the city manager, I move that we authorize the city manager to sign the sales contract. Second. Okay, I, I just want to say one thing. I think that these lots are, I mean, putting them up for sale doesn't make any sense to me. They're out over the middle of the mill pond, and I can't see why anybody would want to buy them except maybe the people in Mill Pond to protect their view, I don't know, but anyway. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Nay. Okay, um, uh, we're now at new business and miscellaneous public comments, so if any of you have any other business that you'd like to talk with the council about, please come to the Yes. Uh, if there is no uh, public comment, then we will recess the city council meeting at this time and open the Astoria Development Commission meeting. Okay, opening the Astoria Development Commission meeting November 19th. We need a roll call again. Uh, Nate, would you do that for us? So we've expedited them to be able to get that moving forward. I move we approve the ABC meeting minutes for November 8, 2018. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Mayor, that is a consent item, so we will need roll call. So. Roll call. Okay. Mr. Dartmouth. Commissioner Deborah. Aye. meeting and reopen the city council meeting 
And at this time, we will move into executive session. session it is now 10 minutes to 10. Um, we uh, have evaluated the city manager. Uh, we're extremely pleased with his uh, performance um, and uh, the city council has uh, rated him on an average of, 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 of exceeding expectations. Um, and in recognition of all of his hard work, we would like to um, give him the standard manager's 2% um, raise retroactive to September 1. Should we say cost of living adjustment? Cost of living adjustment. So I move that we approve a cost of living adjustment for the city manager of 2% retroactive to his performance review date. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're going to close the meeting. We are adjourned.